All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? This aspect of the kingdom never changes. It's always the same. It exists from the time, from the moment time began. Right? And it will exist, as we will see, really, all the way or into eternity future. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maribel Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. The receiving of the king is not some kind of passive thing where say, hey, I'd like the king. You know, the king brings salvation. The king brings lots of good things. So, yeah, I'll take the king. That's why John comes saying what? Repent. You can't just have the king in that sense. Who wouldn't want that gift? And unfortunately, this is often how salvation is presented. Am I in any way saying that salvation isn't a free gift? I'm not. The scriptures say that. But I'm saying the way that it's received is not some passive reception. I hold out my arms, you know, like on Christmas, the kid goes from one gift to another. I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. This is the holding out of the arms and the bending of the knee. You are my king. And the only way you can ever say that is through repentance, that you have recognized your sinfulness in the sight of that holy king. He must be properly received. Because receiving receiving the king is a great way to put it. It's just we've so often turned receive Jesus into something that it isn't. It is the bending of the knee to the king of the universe. That's what it means. You must receive the king. The shocking understanding is that entrance into the kingdom requires a personal relationship with the king. The only way to enter into the kingdom is to receive him. The only way to be rightly related to him is to change the course of your life into conformity with what he commanded and who he truly is. The only way to change or to receive the king is to agree with and meet the standard that the king requires in order to have a right relationship with him. And we know, of course, that this is far more than just saying to the king, you're my king. Saying, Lord, Lord, Master, Ruler. What does Matthew 7.21 say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Is that some kind of work salvation? You do a bunch of good works and then you can say, then you can say he's Lord. No, the only one who truly has received Jesus as Lord is the one who does the will of the Father. That's the way you, that's the way you know that it's true. There's been repentance. I hate my sin. I recognize its violation of the will of God because to sin is to do anything in violation of the will of God. The ones who do the will of God enter the kingdom or are in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, 21. Not the ones who do lots of religious activity. Not the ones who even say, Jesus, I believe in you. I went down forward to sign a card somewhere. I made a verbal profession to you. 
I recognized who you were. Those that are saying, Lord, Lord, in Matthew 7, 21, know fully who Jesus is. If you asked them if he was the Messiah, they would say he is the Messiah. If you asked them if he were the Son of God, they would say he is the Son of God. And they stand before him thinking that that was sufficient. If you ask them, have you done things for this king? They would say, we have. We have cast out demons. We have done miracles in his name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You have not done the will of your father. You have not done the deeds which flow out of true repentance, which includes faith, which includes trusting in Jesus and our understanding of repentance as defined in Matthew. You guys, this is a very serious thing because this is not what the world believes. And unfortunately, it's oftentimes not what the church teaches. But it's what, it's what Matthew teaches. It's what the Bible teaches. And so we need to return to this proper understanding. Why in the world would you send a herald out front that says, repent? Because it's necessary. And why would Jesus himself come out and say the same thing? And why? And we haven't even studied all this yet. Why would the one message also of the apostles, when Peter begins to preach after Pentecost, Jesus has ascended to heaven, what does he say? Repent. Same message. It includes, of course, turning to Christ. So that's the message of Christ. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10, 17, as he sends out the apostles, he says, go and preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that that is then extended into the time after Christ has ascended back to be with the Father. It's the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what's the kingdom? Now, now we need to get to that part. I've kind of given you the, the nature of it. Well, when he says kingdom of heaven though, you, there's a variety of things you can think. Well, well, what's kingdom of heaven? Wasn't there a kingdom of heaven in the Old Testament? Is it that one? It, there's a universal kingdom. All these things. Well, which one is it? Well, I'd like to break down for you very quickly and only by way of introduction, essentially seven different stages or different understandings. And by, by that, I mean the kingdom of heaven can, can include all of these. And we need to understand at any given point in the scriptures which one we are talking about because otherwise we get confused. So, the kingdom of heaven could be, with, a very, with an overall definition, would simply be the rule of God over his creation. The kingdom of heaven, which you can equate to the kingdom of God, is the rule of God over his creation, very simply. But again, what are the various manifestations of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God throughout time? Well, the first is his universal kingdom. So you can put that on your, on your outline. The universal kingdom is first. This is, this is God's rule over the affairs of the universe as a whole. It exists, says Alvin McLean, without interruption throughout all time. It includes all that exists in time and space. This has always been God's kingdom. And no one may ever dispute it. This is the kingdom of Daniel 4.34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. The universal kingdom of God that has never suffered any lack. He's ever been less at any time the kingdom of all the universe than he ever will be. All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? This aspect of the kingdom never changes. It is always the same and exists from the time, from the moment time began, right? And will exist as we will see really 
all the way well, into eternity future. But second, there is something, I'm, now this is the, probably the toughest word of, of this, so you can spell it however you want, but it's the mediatorial kingdom. Mediatorial kingdom, you're like, what is that? Simply that means the kingdom that has a man ruling for God. The man is the mediator, right? So God is ruling through the man, that's the idea, right? There will be a, a sphere of influence, right? there will be a kingdom, something that he has, so the mediatorial kingdom. And this would most specifically, although there are nuances here that we won't get into, this is most specifically the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, God, from the time of Adam and Eve, has been ruling through mediators. Adam and Eve were supposed to be the first two, and they blew it bad. But yet God still continued to rule through mediators. You have, you have glimpses of this. Job seems to be someone used by God in his particular sphere, his area. Noah, certainly. So always this, is, this has been God's general pattern. But then with Abraham, he begins to narrow it down to a particular nation. And we find this in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. So he says, look, now I'm going to begin my specific work of building an earthly kingdom through earthly rulers or mediators by which I will bring about my purposes. He goes on to say, and I will bless you and make your name great. As you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And our understanding, as we've done our, our covenant theological work, is to understand that the Abrahamic covenant is essentially the base covenant from which the other ones flow. And that the new covenant is not some kind of replacement of the Abrahamic covenant. It is the New Testament fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, along with the Davidic covenant, which is necessary for those to be fulfilled. And then we, remember we said the Palestinian covenant, that is the covenant of the land. So this mediatorial kingdom is on the basis of a cov the covenant promises of God, and he says that he will bring a nation. Now, he essentially mediates it through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Then through, then more specifically through Moses and Joshua, really under Moses, they are constituted as a nation at Mount Sinai. And so he begins essentially ruling the nation through Moses, and you have Joshua. Then after that, you have the judges. Those are his mediatorial rulers. And then you have the monarchs, all the kings who flow from that. And then as we will see, and as, as we begin to work towards, you have the one king that flows out of that, David, David's seed, Jesus. That's more than we have time for this morning. Mediatorial kingdom. By the way, you see the mediatorial kingdom come to a pathetic close, but not end in the Old Testament. It's not done. We'll see it again. Right? We will see this mediatorial kingdom. That is God ruling the specific nation, Israel, through his chosen representative. Oh, it comes to, it comes to a, a, a horrible end, even with the return from exile in, in Nehemiah, because really you end with Malachi, a people of God, again, abandoning their God, refusing to serve him. All right, so that's the mediatorial kingdom. Now, this is not really a separate aspect of the kingdom so much, but it needs to be discussed. It's the prophesied kingdom. That is, in the Old Testament, you have prophecies about the kingdom, which seem much more than what Israel is right then, and make promises for far in the future to what it will one, one day will be, as well as some strange references in the middle to things that, you know, to the extending of the blessing to the nations and, and all kinds of things that are not fully understood. So the prophesied kingdom is simply God's rule over men as prophesied in the Old Testament. These prophecies include elements of all the coming phases of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, it can be very difficult to determine which aspect of the kingdom is being predicted. For example, in Isaiah 61.1, it says, The Spirit of God is upon me, the Spirit of the Lord God, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
Who quoted that? Jesus did. When he came, he went and he walked into the Jewish synagogue and he read up to that point. And he said, today, the most, probably it had to be the most chilling goose. Well, they, it wasn't for them, but it is for me that I think about it. The Messiah came and said, I'm fulfilling this in your presence. He closed the book and sat down. Wow. Then they tried to stone him right after that, but that's another story. Right? They, they thought that thought a lot. But if you go on in Isaiah, it says, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus did not quote that. Why? It wasn't that day. Between in a comma, you have a difference in manifestations of the kingdom of heaven in a comma. Right? Jesus' coming certainly predicted, and the kingdom that he established certainly predicted, and the way he established it in the New Testament, not in all the, not in full understanding, but nonetheless, prophesied kingdom. So all aspects of the kingdom prophesied in the Old Testament, very difficult to pull out which one is which. Oftentimes, it's just kind of looking across the top to see Jesus comes first time, Jesus comes second time. And hard to know if you look in the Old Testament how all those things work themselves out. But number four, there's a fourth manifestation of the kingdom of heaven, the one that is most directly being dealt with, of course, here in the Gospels here when the herald comes, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I've chosen to call this, I wrestled with this one because I'm kind of, I was kind of making up my own map here, certainly borrowing from many others. But So I'm going to call it the Gospels kingdom. There's an S on that. The Gospels kingdom. That is the kingdom that exists or that is described in the Gospels. Why do I say that? Because that's when the king was here. And a very different tenor and tone to it than Old Testament Israel because the king wasn't there. The real king, the true king, the king of the universe in person is there. Can you imagine on the earth? The God, can you do, what would you imagine would happen when the king of the universe shows up? Miracles maybe? Demons being cast out? People being healed? Yep, all that happened but in a much different way than Israel expected because they expected it to extend where? From there at that time to the whole world. It didn't, not right then. That's why we call it the gospel's kingdom. That is the kingdom that is described in the gospels when Jesus is on the earth. Some call it the present kingdom, but that's difficult because, and, and what they mean by that is when Jesus was present. But it confuses us because like, it's not the kingdom that's present now. And in its most basic form, that's what John is announcing. The king is here this part of his kingdom is beginning. He's not undoing the mediatorial kingdom. He's not, he's, he's not fully explaining everything that will be happening as the kingdom moves forward. He's just saying, now begins this phase of the kingdom. The king is here. He's on the earth. I already read you Matthew eleven twelve From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. This aspect of the kingdom being entered into at this time begins with John the Baptist, ends with the ascension of Christ back to his father. And you might remember that John himself got a little bit confused about this, didn't he? He expected the full mediatorial and all the other aspects of the kingdom to show up when Jesus came. And he ends up in prison. Things are not looking good for him. And they're really not looking good for Jesus either as his ministry begins to dwindle and people begin to abandon him. And he says this, he sends his messengers and essentially he says, are, are, are you the guy? Did, did I miss it? Are you not really the king? You're not doing what I expect the king to do. And Jesus says this in Matthew eleven four. 
He says, Jesus answered and said to him, go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. He says, look, the gospel's kingdom, for lack of better terms, the present kingdom is here because I'm the king and I'm the guy and everything that was supposed to be, that I'm supposed to do, I'm doing. But it confuses you because I am not extending that to the rest of the world. I'm not eliminating the Roman Empire. I'm not doing these other things. And John was seeing it as an Old Testament prophet. Where's the rest? And Jesus says, no, this is the phase of the kingdom I'm supposed to be fulfilling. The rest will come, essentially, but it's not now. And that's what Israel wrestled to understand. So the gospel's kingdom, that is that kingdom that existed when Jesus was on the earth. The king was here, but then he left. The king left. And so what phase of the kingdom is that? And here's where I'll maybe step on some toes. And I'll throw some terms out here that some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about. Some will. I don't say it to belittle you. I'm only saying sometimes these big terms is like, and you don't have to know. But those of you who are maybe more classically dispensational will maybe be bothered by my next section of the kingdom. And I've called it the church age kingdom. Because if you're more classically dispensational, you would say there is no such thing as church age and kingdom. They're not the same. You can't have kingdom and church age is totally different. I don't think scripture defines it that way. I think you have an aspect of the kingdom clearly in view through the church. It looks differently than the mediatorial kingdom. It looks differently than the gospel's kingdom. It looks different from the millennial kingdom, but it's still part of the kingdom. And there is a ruler and there are subjects and they are preparing for the next phase. And again, remember I said layers. We're going to try to build this as best we can. God is ruling, certainly in the hearts of his people. He's extending his rule through the work of the church. That's what I mean by the church age kingdom. He's ruling in the hearts of his people, but the only way that rule, and that rule is being extended, it's extended through the church, not as an earthly kingdom, but as a sphere of rule without a doubt where the king of kings rules. Well, how would I, why would I say that? Colossians 1.13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Present transfer. We are in that kingdom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the aspect of the kingdom being poured out, the redemption and forgiveness of sins, not the rule and reign of Christ over the nations. Additionally, and maybe even more clearly in Romans 14, 16, because there's some who dispute Colossians 1. They say that that's later. That's still talking about the kingdom that we'll eventually be in. I don't think, I don't think that's possible from, the, from an exegesis of that text. But Romans 14, 16 says, Therefore, do not let what is good for you or what for is you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What you are right now, what you are supposed to be pursuing is what the kingdom of God is all about, the aspect in which you are living. And it's not about what you eat and drink. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the present aspect of the church age kingdom. And that's how it is being developed. But it's not the end and it's not the last word. There's more to the kingdom of heaven. And that is the millennial kingdom. He is coming to rule and reign upon the earth. He will come literally to the earth. He will literally establish a throne in literal Jerusalem with a literally renewed Israel who is the lead nation for that thousand years. He's promised that. The Old Testament says it will happen. But it is not the same as the Old Testament mediatorial kingdom. Why? Because the church saints are involved. They have been being developed in this age of the kingdom for partnership with Israel in ruling and reigning. So it's different. It's not the Old Testament kingdom simply revived. It is the Old Testament kingdom appearing in its new form, its millennial form, including the, the members of the church. They are all drawn together in that rule. I think scripture is very clear on that. 
Revelation 20, verse 4, well, really that whole chapter, I don't have time this morning, we need to be done, but millennial kingdom. Remember I said, we'll build this. And then, but we're still not done because there's another kingdom coming, right? Another aspect of the kingdom of heaven. What's that? The eternal kingdom. We don't end, thankfully, with the millennial one, as blessed and as joyous as that will be. Just love this. Do you not rejoice in the fact that at one point the true nations of this earth will bend the knee before their true king and they will not shake their fist at him any longer? These nations, well, of this time or whenever time it might come, that's the millennial kingdom. I love it. But there's even better, which is the eternal kingdom. That is the eternal reign of Christ over a new heavens and new earth. And by the way, it seems clear that there will still be an Israel that is distinct. There will be nations that are distinct. There will still be a Jerusalem, still a Davidic king, still ruling. What an amazing thing. But then all of that subsumed into or continuing on for all of eternity in a perfect heavens and perfect earth. Wow. So kingdom of heaven is broad. Narrowing it back down to finish for this morning when John says it. He's saying, this phase has come. The king is here. Oh, it should set her. Just should, should put goosebumps down her spine. Now, we're coming to communion. And the way to enter into the kingdom, the church age kingdom, and really the only way to ever enter into any, any full aspect of the kingdom is through repentance and faith on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.